0: A word of warning before we begin. This episode is best suited for mature audiences. Even then, be prepared. Probably not an episode to listen to with your kids. It contains graphic scenes and might ruin your day, might ruin your night. But it's too fantastic not to tell. Too unreal to be real. One of those stories that starts with a few sentences on a random website, which you can't believe is true. And then you dig deeper, and get the fine folks at the AADL to dig deeper, and you realize the facts were skewed, but the tale was real, and much, much worse. I'm not being dramatic. If I didn't think this story was one of the most unique Ann Arbor stories we're going to tell, we would have skipped it. But it is unique, and it is messed up, and now you've been warned. If you have any hesitations, skip this one. Save your day. We'll see you next time. Now for the rest of you, cue the music. This is Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Rich Reddy. The two girls were peculiar, even for Ann Arbor in 1971. They looked to be college-age, had a hippie vibe to them. Nothing outwardly weird, but something definitely strange. They stood a few feet apart, standing face-to-face on the corner of State and Liberty. Some said they were looking at the moon. Others said they just stared at each other. Stared for hours and hours, that cold November night. At the moon or at each other or both. Something about them creeped people out. Who called the cops, who pulled up in a squad car, and saw the two girls staring at each other, calm, expressionless, normal but not normal. They climbed willingly into the back seat, were silent on the drive to police headquarters, silent during lengthy questioning. They had identification. 20-year-old Anita McQueen from Livonia and 26-year-old Rail Weinstein from Skokie, Illinois. They didn't appear to have any business in Ann Arbor. They seemed like a pair of typical hippie drifters. They weren't under the influence of drugs. They weren't drunk. They just didn't say a word. Didn't say why they were in town. What they were doing on that street corner. Where they were staying. Something about them was peculiar, even for Ann Arbor. They creeped the officers out. So much so that a call was made to the city attorney and county prosecutor and a request made to commit the pair to a mental institution for 48 hours of observation. The request was denied. The women appeared neither homicidal nor suicidal. The police were forced to let them go. That was the rule. The girls were dropped off at the same street corner where they were picked up. The patrol car drove away. The girls wandered the streets, somehow ending up in an apartment at 517 South Division, the home of three Michigan coeds, No one's sure why the students let them in. Maybe it was cold, maybe they were being kind, but they let them in, allowed the strange girls to stay the night, but just one night. Then they were gone, out the door, no more free ride. But the next day came and the co-eds didn't have the guts to tell the pair to leave. They too sensed something off, something peculiar, even for Ann Arbor. Rather than kick the two girls out of the apartment, they themselves left. The co-eds stayed the night with friends in the building next door and didn't return that night. Left the two girls alone. To stare at the moon. Or each other. Or do something far worse. This isn't a happy story. There's no fun twist or witty little trivia nugget to share with your friends, family, or loved ones later tonight. You should probably stop listening right here. This is where it goes really bad. Around 4.30 a.m., early Wednesday morning, all alone, anita mcqueen and rail weinstein found a few rolls of white wrapping paper they went into the kitchen wrapped themselves in the paper head to toe sat cross-legged on the cold linoleum then set themselves on fire no gasoline no accelerant only paper and clothing and skin and hair and flesh the fire must have taken a little while to catch to pass from the paper to their clothes to build from a small flame to a pair of personal Infernos that would burn more than 30% of Rail's body and 20% of Anita's. It must have been slow. It must have been excruciating. The police got a call at 4.40 reporting a fire at the apartment, presumably from the co-eds next door. They saw flames, heard women screaming, smelled burning hair. Officers and firefighters rushed to the scene, Kicked in the front door and saw the two girls engulfed in flames, still sitting cross-legged across from each other, screaming, but making no effort to save themselves. Rescuers grabbed blankets off the sofa and smothered the flames, used knives to quickly cut away the burnt clothing which stuck to the girls' flesh. They were strapped onto stretchers and hurried to the ambulance outside, loaded in side-by-side. One of the girls, they were too badly burned for paramedics to know which one, reached out and touched her friend's hand. It's lovely to die together, she whispered. The ambulance arrived at the University of Michigan Hospital and the girls were rushed to the burn unit. We wanted to die together, one of them said, while the nurses and doctors worked to save their lives. Police and fire officials found no evidence of drug use. The girls weren't drunk. No motivation other than death. The girls remained in critical condition for a month spending Thanksgiving in their hospital beds. They didn't say much. At least nothing recorded. It's unlikely the girls saw each other. With Christmas approaching, Rail's condition worsened. Her kidneys failed and her blood went bad. On December 19th, she died in her sleep. Anita remained in critical condition. There's no record of her state of mind nor her thoughts on her dead friend. Two months later, February 24th, 1972, Anita was upgraded to fair condition. That's it. There's no redemption at the end of this story. No explanation for why. No apologies. You're not gonna find out what happened to Anita after February, 1972. If she recovered from her injuries, if she took a turn for the worse and died in the same hospital as her friend, how she'd explain the burns to her friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, maybe her husband. Some stories don't make a lot of sense. Some weeks are just more peculiar than others. Even for Ann Arbor. Creepier than creepy, worse than bad. Thanks once again to everyone at the Ann Arbor District Library, and in particular, Debbie Gallagher, who investigated this tale, tracked down all the resources, and helped us sort fact from fiction. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Ann Arbor Stories, or email us at Ann Stories at gmail.com. We love all the feedback we've received so far, and we'd love to know what you like, don't like, or would love to hear in the future. And if you're listening on iTunes, we'd love it if you could rate us appropriately and leave any comments you'd like. Thanks again for listening.